Thanks for listening to the Three Strands Podcast. For more information about our church and our ministries, visit us at threestrands.church. Well, welcome to church. We're glad you're here this morning. Uh, we are in the second part of our series, Talking Funny. Um, how many of you enjoyed the time change today? Oh, that was wonderful. That extra hour seems like a day, doesn't it? It's incredible. Um, did anybody get to go hiking yesterday? Wow, how about that? Enjoyed God's creation a little bit. Perfect time for that. Did anybody watch any football yesterday? We're not going to talk about that. I was told before church we were not allowed to talk about that. So uh, we're going to bypass that topic, but put me in a bad mood, I'll tell you that. Uh, we should talk about that. It was awful. Let's talk about it. Let's not. All right, well, we're gonna, one of the things we're going to talk about um, this morning is humility, and I just want you to know that I was humbled twice this past week, uh, and I'll share those with you because I know you want to hear my stories, all right? The first one was this. Uh, we were at the house today, Brad and Emma were over, and they were talking about people's ages, okay? And somehow it got up, so-and-so's this age, and somebody said, hey, Kenny, how old are you? And I said, well, I'm 46, because I am. And you know what the response was? Most people would be like, oh, you look young for your age, right? That's kindness. But no. You know what Emma said to me? She said, only 46? That's all? It humbled me, okay? Because I don't look 46. I only look about 45. Um, the second thing was that uh, we were, where was, oh, I was in the hot tub talking to Heather, and Abby were on the other line. They were FaceTime audioing, and they were, Abby was going off all these names, the meaning of names. Mom, what's my name mean? Let's Google it. Abigail, da, 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 right? They looked up Heather's name, what it meant, and then they looked up Kenneth, and you know what Kenneth means, don't you? Nobody? Huh, that's all. It means handsome. That's what Kenneth means. I didn't write it. It was just Google it yourself if you don't believe me, but it means handsome. And my wife said to me the following word, okay, in this tone of voice. Really? There is no way that could possibly mean that, okay? She didn't say the second sentence. She just said, really? That means handsome? And I'm like, well, guess something against handsome? You know, what's going on here? So anyway, it humbled me, okay? I've been humbled probably more than that this week, but my dad, uh, I've shared a little bit about him because this series is how he talked, but he was country as cornbread is, is what they would say, and he was proud of it. And I remember when I was younger, him talking about people who were overly confident or cocky, and after a downfall, you know, he would say, and a lot of times this happens like in the sporting arena, you have these cocky, confident, overconfident athletes, and then they fall and they stink and they can't play anymore. And I just remember him saying, son, they got too big for their britches. How many of you ever heard that phrase, you got too big for your britches, right? So we're not talking about waistline or girth, okay? It's sometimes I've gotten too big for my britches, but it, it just means that, you know, they're thinking too highly of themselves and too lowly of other people. You're familiar uh, the, with the ship uh, Titanic, the British ship that, that steamed out of the Southampton bound for New York on April the 10th, 1912. Remember, uh, have you seen the movie? It was the largest and most luxurious ship that had ever sailed. And it was just a monument to the promise of technology. And it was elegant. And it was crafted with like oriental carpets and crystal chandeliers. It was thought to be unsinkable. 
And confidence was so high in this ship that the owners and the builders rejected plans calling for as many as 64 lifeboats. And although the number of lifeboats that was actually on the Titanic, 20, that exceeded government standards, the boats would accommodate only about half of the people on board. 2,228 people were aboard that ship. And as you know, in one of history's greatest ironies, the Titanic sank on its maiden voyage after colliding with an iceberg uh, off the banks of Newfoundland. More than 1,500 people died in that accident. An employee of the White Star Line said at the launch of the Titanic on May 31st in 1911 said this, okay? Not even God, not even God himself could sink this ship. They got a little too big for their britches. God has given us a word in the scriptures to describe this type of attitude, and that word is pride. It's, it's the opposite of humility, which is not thinking less of yourself. Many people think humility means I think less of myself. It's not thinking less of yourself, but it's thinking of yourself less. And I believe that nothing, guys, will keep us further from Satan than being humble. But, but on the flip side of that, Nothing will wreck our lives more so than pride. You know, you read through the scriptures, God doesn't use the word hate a lot. It's not a big part of his vocabulary, but it is in there. And one of the things that God says he hates is pride. It's a sin that he says he hates. Look at it in Proverbs chapter 8 in verse 13. It says, all who fear the Lord will hate evil. Therefore, here it is, I hate pride and I hate arrogance, corruption, and perverse speech. You know, pride is what led Satan to believe that he should be the one that should be in charge. That, that he could do God's job better than God could do it. That, that he should be seated on the throne rather than God. It was pride. And in Proverbs 16, 18, it says that pride goes before destruction and haughtiness before a fall. We've all seen it. People that get too big for their britches, they get overconfident and put their hope in themselves rather than God. They become prideful. And what happens next? There's always a crash. There's always a fall. See it time and time again. Well, guys, as Christians, we believe that the Bible is the inspired word of God. And by that, in simpler terms, we mean that, that God moved the men and the men moved the pen. Okay? And one of those men was a guy named James. Uh, who so happened to also be Jesus' brother. James was led by the Holy Spirit to write a letter to the church, and he addresses this subject of pride. And I want to read to you what he wrote in James chapter 4, verses 4 through 10. Here's what he says. Don't you realize that friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God? He says, I, I say it again. If you want to be a friend of the world, you make yourself an enemy of God. Do you think the scriptures have no meaning? They say that God is passionate that the spirit he has placed within us should be faithful to him. And he gives grace generously. As the scriptures say, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. So humble yourselves before God. Resist the devil and he'll flee from you. Come close to God and God will come close to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts. 
For your, your loyalty is divided between God and the world. Let, let there be tears for what you've done. Let, let there be sorrow and deep grief. Let there be sadness instead of laughter and gloom instead of joy. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and then he will lift you up in honor. Carson told me last Monday that he had been reading through and studying the book of James. He said he'd finished the first three chapters and was talking about how good that the book was so far. And he had no idea this next chapter was the one I was going to be sharing this week. But he's right. It's a solid book. Uh, if you have some time this week, just sit down and read through the book of James. Because it's also a convicting book. I mean, this passage I just read through, that's a challenge for a lot of us, isn't it? But if we'll take big chunks of Scripture like this, big passages, and we'll kind of shrink them down into smaller sentences or phrases, it may just help us to apply them to our lives a little better. So when we look at the passage I just read, uh, we can shrink it down into this phrase. You ready? Humility plus honor. I'm sorry. Humility plus honesty equals honor. James is saying that if we will live humble and honest lives, that God will in turn celebrate us. He'll honor us, the Bible says. I was in Catskill Elementary School uh, in 1986, sitting in my fifth grade class when the space shuttle, uh, shuttle Challenger exploded. Remember that? 73 seconds into flight. Um, we have a picture, yeah. In the weeks that followed, there, there was an engineer at NASA who came on television and he said that he had tried to convince an, um, the superiors of his to postpone the flight, not to do it. He, he was on the engineering team and he had realized that there was a flaw in the design. He, he said that the O-rings weren't going to be able to handle the temperature and that something catastrophic could happen. But um, his superiors, they didn't listen to him. And so after all that happened, that catas uh, catastrophe happened, he was interviewed and he said this. He said, NASA fell prey to the oldest and most basic sin, pride. He said, we'd become too successful. We had gotten by for a quarter century without losing a single person. He said, all this success gives you a little bit of arrogance that you just shouldn't have. What he was saying was, NASA got too big for their britches. They weren't paying attention to the small details. And guys, that's a life application for all of us, that the details matter, don't they? And God cares about the details of our lives. Now, on the other end of that spectrum, at the main office of the Department of Homeland Security here in Kentucky, they have a small plaque hanging on the wall when you walk into the office that says this. It says, we cannot keep you safe without God's help. That's what it says. We cannot keep you safe without God's help. Now, the state of Kentucky has been sued over that plaque, but there's a lot of truth in it, isn't there? We, they can't. They're realizing that, hey, we can't do it alone. We need God. So there's a lot of truth in that, but there's also a lot of humility as well. Because what they're saying is we realize John 15, 5, which says, apart from me, you can do nothing. Jesus' words there. Apart from me, you can't do anything. Some of you may recognize golfer Jordan Spieth, uh, arguably the greatest golfer of this next generation. He won three major championships before the age of 25, gaining a lot of fame and a lot of fortune. 
And that kind of success, especially at a young age, we see it go to a lot of people's heads. You know, their egos begin to swell. They can't fit their head through the door. They're famous now and they have a lot of money, right? Um, But it's not like that for him. This young man says that the way that he has stayed humble, the way he has stayed grounded is, is two part. He says, one is, it's my relationship with Jesus. And he says, the second thing, it's my relationship with my younger sister, Ellie, who has autism. He said, when I'm out there golfing on the course, you know, we got thousands of people around and TV cameras everywhere. He said, when I'm playing, I look over into the crowd and I see my little sister, Ellie, cheering me on. And he said, that just keeps everything in perspective for me. You know, author John Ortberg said the challenge of becoming and staying humble is seeing the biggest spot in the world. You know what that is? Our blind spot. He said it's our blind spot. Seeing ourselves for who we truly are. He says in order for us to live lives marked by humility, we have to be aware of some blind spots in our lives. He said they'll be unique to each one of us. Areas where where pride kind of creeps in and begins to convince us that you and I are more than sinners saved by grace. Because the truth is, that's all we are. We are just simply sinners saved by grace, right? When when I was in college, I applied to be camp pastor at this Christian sports camp that was put on by Lifeway Christian Resources. And uh, I had to go down to Nashville for the interview. And the main supervisor there of the camp He took one look at my um, resume, their application there, and he tossed it aside. And he said, I don't want you to be a camp pastor. He said, I don't think you would thrive in that area. Like, okay. And, uh, but he did go on to say, you're more gifted in other areas. How about being a camp director? And it ended up being wonderful. And I got to serve in an area where I was more gifted at. But when I heard the first part of that, I, I was hurting. I was rejected, you know. And rejection hurts, doesn't it? Rejection will lead to humility. And everybody in this room has felt it. We've all felt rejected at one point or another in our lives. And it leads to humility, no doubt about it. It will humble us. But have you ever stopped to think that one of the key ingredients in the scriptures is acceptance? That you and I are accepted by God, the God of the universe, and that should also lead to humility when we think about it. When you and I stop and just think about the cross, we realize that God incarnate, God with skin on, in the form of Jesus, he died a public, humiliating death, naked in front of a crowd for sins that you and I committed, taking the punishment that you and I deserved. I mean, nothing should make us more humble than thinking about what Jesus did for you and I on the cross. That should humble us. So every day, when we're out doing our thing and pride creeps in and it tries to distract us, we need to remember that Jesus paid the ultimate sacrifice for us. And then when that pride creeps in and makes us want to retaliate against somebody or to get even with somebody or or to look at somebody else and see their sin rather than their Savior right? Rather than the creator. That's when we need to take a deep breath and we need to repeat to ourselves verses like John 3.30, which says, he must become greater and greater and I must become less and less. You notice Jesus didn't retaliate or try to get even with people, did he? He, he saw himself in people. 
right? We need to repeat Philippians 2, chapter, or verses 3 and 4, where it says, don't be selfish. Don't try to impress other people. No, be humble, thinking of your family, thinking of your coworkers, thinking of total strangers at the ball field as better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interest, he says, but take an interest in others also. And so the truth is, guys, sometimes we just need to get in our vehicles and, and we need to drive and we need to turn up the music and we just need to sing, don't we? We, we just need to say, thank you, Lord, for what you did for me. I thank God for Apple Music. It is wonderful, okay? Uh, we now have at our disposal a multitude of worship songs 24-7 that can keep us focused on what Jesus has done for us. And guys, listen, if we can say and we can sing every day that Jesus died for us, no doubt we'll stay humble. We will. But Jesus isn't just calling you and I to live humble lives. He's also wanting us to live lives of honesty, especially when it comes to repentance. Again, that means that we have to be aware of those blind spots, those areas where, where pride's going to creep in and try to convince us we're more than sinners saved by grace. That's why when it comes to honesty, we need to go again back to the cross. And I realize, guys, that Satan tries to distract us from the cross. He takes, he takes our attention off of it. The father of lies, he's called, tries to get us to hide. And he tries to get us to cover stuff up in our lives. And here's how he does it. Here's how it works. Before you and I sin, Satan tempts us. You know, he whispers to us, hey, you should do this. This is going to be fun. You'll love this. It'll be great. And then after we do it and screw up our lives, he whispers, why did you do that? I thought you were a Christian. Man, and just heap shame upon shame on top of us. So, so at the beginning, he's encouraging us to do something that Jesus had to die for. But afterwards, he hammers us with what Jesus has already died for us to set us free from. Have you ever noticed that in your life? That that's the cycle? That's kind of how it works? That before we sin, God makes a big deal out of it and says, don't do it. Not going to be good. It's going to hurt. And Satan's kind of like, ah no big deal go ahead and do it and then after you and I sin Satan makes a big deal out of it right can't believe you did that you loser you're supposed to go to church you call yourself a Christian here we go right and God kind of likes it's, it's kind of like it's okay I got this I love you I took care of this on the cross just go and sin no more right that's how it works Th this little girl's name is Raina McNeil um, when she was two years old, her mom was just trying to get her out of her hair one day. Those of you with toddlers will understand how that works. And she was just nonstop. And so uh, her mom did what many of you may have done when your kids were little. She handed her her phone for her to play on. Okay, so she gives her a phone. She gets out of her hair. She's not distracted anymore. But the problem was a few days later that the doorbell rang. And she went to the door and there was a delivery man with a huge box standing there. And she told her, she said, hey, I didn't order this. And the delivery man said, somebody in this house ordered it. And come to find out, little Raina had accidentally ordered a $400 couch from Amazon, okay, playing on mama's phone. You know, that was out in San Diego. 
Have you ever had to learn the hard way like that? You ever had to learn a lesson the hard way? Guys, when we look back at the mistakes in our lives, have we learned from them? Have we remembered those lessons that God's trying to teach us? Do you? Do you remember? One of the most basic things that we should have learned from our mistakes is this, is that God knows and wants what's best for us. From every mistake that you and I have made, there's one thing God wants to teach us, that he knows and he wants what's best for us. Guys, it's true. God really does want what's best for you financially, how you manage your money. He wants what's best for us relationally, how we treat other people. He wants what's best for us emotionally, how we take care of our head and our hearts and control our feelings. He wants what's best for us physically, how we eat, how we exercise, how much rest we get. He wants what's best for us spiritually, what we listen to, what we watch, and what we say. You know, when God says, do this, don't do that, did you know that he always has your best interests in mind? He's always thinking about what's best for you. And so knowing that to be true, we can go to the cross with our guilt, with our shame, with our regrets, and we can be honest before our Heavenly Father, and we can just shoot straight and say, God, this is what I've done, and this is what it's done to me. Because not, listen, God not only wants to forgive us, but He also wants to heal us. You ever thought about that? It's not that just God wants to forgive us. He wants to heal us. And some people don't realize that. He doesn't just want to forgive us of our sins, but he wants to heal us from the damage that those sins have caused. He wants to take the broken pieces of our lives and make us whole again. Kind of like a puzzle, just dumping all the pieces on the floor. It's broken, but he wants to put it back together again and make a masterpiece. You know, if I had a $100 bill crisp and clean up here and I raised it in the air and I said, who wants this $100 bill? Guarantee about half of you would run up here and I want it, I want it, right? But then what if I took it and I crumbled it up into a ball? And I said, all right, who wants it? Guarantee you some people would still come up here and get it. Why? Why? Because the condition of that bill does not determine the value of it, right? It's still $100. It might be wrinkled, it might be a little beat up, but it's still worth $100. Guys, listen, the same is true of our lives. The, the same is true. We're not perfect, crisp, and clean. Let's be honest, we've all done some not-so-good things, right? In fact, we've all done some terrible things. We are not just mistake makers, we are sinners who have rebelled against God. And the truth is, We've also had some terrible things done to us, haven't we? The truth is we're dinged and we're damaged. But listen, our value is not determined by our condition. Just like that wadded up dollar, $100 bill, our value is not determined by our condition. And that's why it would be a good idea for you just to get alone somewhere this week. If it's warm enough, just go outside and enjoy God's creation like we did yesterday. Just go alone and sit still in a quiet place and just have a conversation with God. Just be honest 
And just let him know how much your parents' divorce really hurts you. Just let him know how much your parents choosing another person over you or their career over you, how much that damaged you. You may just need to take a long walk this week and say to God, God, the words that were said to me, the words that were said about me, that they've left me feeling insecure, like I'll never measure up to anything or to anybody. Some of you just need to, to go for a drive. You just need to go for a drive and get real with God and just tell him, God, the truth is I'm so disappointed with how my life is turning out. It's not turning out the way that I thought it would. God, I'm so frustrated. God, I'm so sick of the same old sin habits day after day after day that I struggle with. God, I'm angry. And just be real with him. Guys, listen, whatever it is, you can be completely honest with your heavenly father. And listen, not only that, as a matter of fact, he said he would bless it. He said if you were honest, he would bless it. That's how safe we are in his love. Humility plus honesty equals honor. God will honor you if you live a humble, honest life. And guys, not only will he honor us, but he'll actually use us. He will. He'll begin to lead people to us. We'll become aware that God has brought this person into our life so we can tell them the difference that Jesus has made. So, so we can invite them to church and expose them to the message of the cross where we receive grace and we were given a second chance and a third chance and a fourth chance and a new beginning, right? At hitting the reset button in our lives. God has done that for millions and millions of people over the course of history and he will do it for you as well. George Frederick Handel was a famous musical composer, but most of his life was a complete failure. Uh, he, he went bankrupt multiple times. He, he was alienated from his family. But then he had a moment where he came face to face with Jesus. He came face to face with God's love. He came face to face with the cross. And guys, it changed him. It changed him. And he sat down at the piano one night and he wrote this musical composition we know today as Messiah. And within Messiah, there is this one little song inside of it called the Hallelujah Chorus. I'm not going to sing it. I know some of you are getting scared, okay? Um, like, what's he turning that mic on for? But within that song, he wrote this, this one little Hallelujah Chorus that captured the joy and the hope that he had found in his relationship with Jesus. familiar with it, I'm sure. Heard that before? He wrote that and he knew that he had something special. He knew it was special, that he had captured the moment of, of when he experienced Jesus in his life. And so what happened was, uh, since he knew it was something special, most composers, what they would have done is just debuted it in the church, in his church. But he decided not to do that. He decided to use what little money that he had and rent out a theater and debut it and debut it to the public. He, he thought there were people out there who hadn't had the experience, the, to experience the love of God the way that he had. And he wanted them to experience what he had. 
And so what he did was he rented out that theater and he debuted Messiah in front of 700 people one night. And guys, they were blown away by it. Just blown away. And for 30 straight nights, they sold out a packed theater. And on the last night, King George sat on the front row and in the middle of that hallelujah chorus, King George stood on his feet and he bowed his head in reverence. And the whole audience got up and followed his example and did the same thing. And later that evening, King George was quoted as saying this, even a king, even a king will be humbled in the presence of a living God. Afterwards, Handel had heard that there were 142 prisoners who hadn't had good legal representation. They, they had debts that they couldn't pay. And so you know what he did with the money? He paid off all their debts and their legal representation so they could be set free. Humble, honest people are the ones that God has always chosen to honor and use. He's done it over the course of centuries, and he'll do it with you as well. One of the blessings of this church is that uh, usually Dave or I get to stand up here in front of a bunch of humble, honest people. Uh, almost 10 years ago, we had this vision to, to begin Three Strands Christian Church. Uh, since we've lost the Christians, now it's just Three Strands Church. But, um, but anyway, that was the name when we originally began it. And the goal was to create this environment to where people were free. That people were free to experience the truth and the grace of Jesus Christ. And guys, it's amazing because here we are a decade later, you know, and God has proven himself faithful in doing just that. This is a place where people are being set free. It's a, it's a place where people hear truth. And it's a place where people experience grace. But I want you to know that this church doesn't happen apart from you. A bunch of humble and honest people. I've never, ever in 10 years here heard anyone say the credit goes to anyone other than Jesus. But I do hear a bunch of people brag on what Jesus has done and what he's still doing with this church. One of our life group members said a few weeks ago that this is the most real and honest church I've ever been a part of. I want you to know God honors that. And I want to say thank you. I want to say thank you for humbling yourself and just serving each week for getting up early on Sunday mornings and just volunteering your time, right? To, to do things like to teach our youth, for opening up your homes to host life groups, for setting up your campers for our kids. Thank you for giving financially. Thank you for making food, for, for setting up and selling books. Thank you for leading us in worship each week. Thank you for making people feel welcome when they walk through those doors each Sunday. Thank you for sacrificially giving of your time, your talent, and your treasure. Guys, it requires humility to do that. It requires humility to serve. And I just want you to know that God will honor each of you who do so. I love this church, but this church does not happen apart from humble, honest people. So thank you. Thank you for being that type of congregation. Because guys, believe it or not, some of you have seen it, there are other churches, even in our own county, who are filled with arrogant, phony people, and God simply won't honor that. He just won't. 
So can I remind us just one more time as we close of what James says? If the band will come on up, James 4, 4 through 10, we're going to read those verses one more time out loud together. Okay, they'll be on the screen. Let's read them together. It says this, don't you realize that friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God? I say it again. If you want to be a friend of the world, you make yourself an enemy of God. Do you think the scriptures have no meaning? They say that God is passionate that the spirit he has placed within us should be faithful to him. And he gives grace generously. As the scriptures say, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So humble yourselves before God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come close to God and God will come close to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, for your loyalty is divided between God and the world. Let there be tears for what you have done. Let there be sorrow and deep grief. Let there be sadness instead of laughter and gloom instead of joy. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up in awe.